Rizzo and Sean Sauterling. What's up, everybody? This is Soccer Chat, your weekly coaching podcast. It's brought to you every single week by some good friends of ours, our good friends Tiff, Adelaide, and Bobby over at Dutic Brand. Check it out, dutecbrand.com for all your coaching accessory needs. Some fantastic notepads, some fantastic pins, fantastic hoodies, beanies, and all kinds of stuff that you're going to be wanting. Go check it out, dutecbrand.com. Make sure to use the promo code Soccer Chat to get yourself a sweet discount on all your coaching accessory needs. Our friends over at Torex, T-O-R-R-X.com for the world's greatest ball pump. You've seen them, you've heard them, you know that they are exactly what you need for the upcoming season. Go ahead and get them because we're all pretty sure that the balls are getting a little bit flat right now. You need to be able to get them all aired up and let your kids make sure that they're having fun doing it too. So get yourself a Torex, T-O-R-R-X.com and make sure to let them know that the Soccer Chat guys sent you. You can join the conversation every single Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern time on Twitter by joining the hashtag Soccer Chat. You can submit your questions every single week. You can also there as well as there are people who don't, uh, don't participate. They just get on to, to follow along with the answers and, and take some notes. You can do that too. Like I said, it's 9.30 p.m. every single night or every single Wednesday night. Ooh, every single night. I don't think I pulled that off. Every single Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern time just by following the hashtag Soccer Chat. This is a listener-supported podcast supported by people just like you who's listening to this very episode right now. The best way you can support us is to share the links every single week when we release a new show for you every single Thursday. Let your friends know that you're listening. Let us know what you're listening, what you're liking about the shows. Maybe there's a quote from our guest that sticks out to you. Let everybody know what that quote was and to make sure to put the links to the show. And another way that you can help us out is we've said Nick has a wedding coming up and look, there's only one gift that he really, really wants. Now, we don't know what Kelly wants for the wedding gifts, but I can tell you the only thing that Nick has registered for is for you all to go on and leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Make sure on your review to talk about how awesome the show is, but make sure to say, Nick, this is your wedding present, so that way we can confirm that it is his wedding present, and that's why you're doing it. Uh, so help us out. Uh, five-star ratings and a review on Apple Podcasts. And speaking of Nick, he's Nick. I'm Sean. Nick, I'm going to attempt to do the show and I'm watching a game at the same time and Portland just scored a knee goal and I almost yelled uh, during that intro when they scored. I, I just got done watching the Courage Sky Blue game and the Courage are just way better than everyone in the NWSL. It's not really close. Um, they're just, they're just really, really good. What's the score of the Portland game? Or I saw there was like a double PK save earlier. I did see that earlier. Yeah, that today. did happen. Uh, and it is, it's just currently one, one nil Portland to the galaxy. I will have to turn that on in a hot sec once I figure out this after we're done with this interview, but a lot of good soccer lately, to be honest. I mean, they're the pr- premier league's kind of heating up. You guys, Chelsea's in a, a very heated battle for the final few champions league spots. Like no one seems to want to win them. Because I, don't, as soon as, I don't like the New Jerseys. <laughs> we have bad. not played it's, well in them. It's bad luck. But, like, honestly, like, no one seems to want those final slots because, like, you guys lost, but then Manchester tied. Well, I, and think then, when the, I think when the whole Man City thing came out, I think everybody was like, well, whatever. Yep. Because I think everybody was planning for, hey, it's those, those last three teams are going to get in because Man City's not going to get in. Yeah. And then, well, we also had turned out. That's It's crap. so stupid. I don't understand, like – I don't understand how you can cheat like rules over the span of a few years and always just get like, Oh, we're going to ban you. And then actually, if you just give us more money, we won't ban you. I don't know if that's how it works. I'm just, it didn't work for Chelsea. We still had a transfer ban. 
I don't even tell, yeah. I mean, like, give I don't understand man. it. I don't understand it. I don't either. I can't imagine you guys have been breaking worse loss than them. Like, PSG one time spent 400 million on two players and, like, like didn't get punished. It's just like, what? at what point, like, all, all it seems to do is hurt really small clubs from getting up and doesn't seem to hurt any of the big ones for just spending crap and crap loads of money. It makes zero sense to me. Like, if you're a Man City fan, you will have to explain this to how you guys are a legitimate non-cheating team. And if you're a Man City fan, you've only watched soccer for six years. You did not um, follow them when they had... Put, Pacini. You didn't follow them when they had LeCoq Sportif as their uh, kit maker. So I want to hear none of that jazz. Um, Who is your favorite Chelsea kit sponsor? Um, probably Samsung. That was a good one. Yeah. Dude, we, used, we used to have, have I purposefully had- bought, we bought when we like, because about the time, like of being a house owner, um, we needed to buy new appliances. And I told my wife, we're only going to buy Samsung. Like we bought Samsung TVs. We bought Samsung refrigerators and stoves uh, because I wanted to make sure that my money was going towards the Chelsea players. I think that's completely fair. We had Carlsberg for a while when I was growing up. And like, honestly, like Carlsberg beer is actually not that bad. So that was a pretty decent. I wish I would have been a fan when Chelsea was sponsored by Coors Light. That would be so cool. Because their Coors jerseys are hella dope. I don't even remember what those look like, to be honest. It's basically just the mountains that says Coors. Really, <laughs> really, really big on the front. What year were those? I want to say like mid-90s. Okay. I've, I've, was... got, a, I've got a couple of friends uh, that I've met through Chelsea groups that, that own one. And there's a part of me that like I saw one on Classic Kits one time that was like $45. And I was like, I, I, I don't, I'm not a Coors drinker. But I was like, I, just, I am. Kit is awesome. I'm a Coors drinker. Um, Would you buy a Chelsea Coors jersey? I mean, honestly, I'm looking at the pictures right now and a hard maybe because they look pretty cool. <laughs> right? Right? <laughs> There's a part of me that's like, man, y'all need to go back to that. Like, it, like, so we, my wife and I were watching the game this past weekend. And to be honest, like I've, especially since the, the break, I've caught just glimpses and pieces of games. I haven't been able to watch a full game. I picked the worst full game to watch. And I remember when I saw the new uniforms, like I get the whole, like the company's name is three because like they had them on the, I think it was on the Irish kits. Uh, The Irish national team had them on theirs. And I remember hating it then because I was like, it looks like everyone is the number three. Yeah. Like that's what, that's what the Chelsea new kits look like. And I, I just, I don't like it. Nope. But on a side note, before we get to, other stuff. I, 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 there's so much good soccer. Did you see uh, the League One promotion? Up two nothing. Two nothing. Yeah. Goes I haven't even. I haven't switched to the channel yet. I'm still watching the. I, I can't hear it, but it's the post game of the NWSL Challenge Cup. But did you see the League One playoff championship today? Yes, dude. And beast I, mode. I, His interview oh, afterwards was great. Oh, dude. Akinfenwa. <laughs> I just. I like. He just has such a like. He's just a baller, man. Like, and one who is going into a 50 50 challenge with that dude. Ever? Not me. Nope. Honestly, Not like, me. I think my favorite matchup, fantasy matchup I need to see right now is Adama Traore and a 50 50 challenge versus that guy and just see who comes out. I can't believe City hasn't bought that dude yet. I, I, we're trying, I think. Liverpool is. Yeah, because he gave a shout out to Klopp. Yeah. He said the only phone call I'm going to take right now is to Klopp because we're going to celebrate. Dude, I would take that dude in a heartbeat. I don't even I, I haven't watched enough League One to know anything about why come wanderers, but I 
I, I would take that guy. I remember when he busted onto the scene like three years ago and became like the internet wonder. And there was something about he got famous because his rating in FIFA for like his strength was ridiculous. And people started watching because I think he played in a, I think he was in a championship team at that time, like trying to get promoted. Um, and it just wasn't able to, uh, wasn't able to do it. But I think if, if that dude goes to Liverpool, like you've got to get his kit. Oh, that's, that's the first kit I'm buying. I, I can honestly, like, I don't really need another Liverpool jersey. I have like five of them, but like it, it it's one of those things that like I would have to at that point. Yeah. And get, get his nickname on the back. Cause I think it'd be fun. I think, I think a great three-way cage fight for the name beast mode between Marshawn Lynch, Akinfewa, and David Copeland Smith. Dude. I, I really, I think David would find a way to do it. Honestly, that's, I, I mean, I love, I love David, but I don't know if he's, I don't know if he's getting out of that ring alive. Like he, like he, he must, he would have to have a lot of tricks up his sleeves because those people are a lot bigger than he is. Like I'm, I'm bigger than David. David, if you're listening to this right now, you, you need to come on and uh, come defend on and defend your yourself. Honor. Yeah, defend yourself because <laughs> I, I feel like uh, I can't wait until Anaheim for you to defend yourself. We need to, we need to figure this out real quick. Um, awesome show this week. Uh, and, and you know that whenever we have good shows, we don't do any outros. Um, but, you know, we, we've been pretty fortunate over the last couple of weeks, uh, especially during this pandemic. Um, talking to coaches who just took jobs during the pandemic talking to the coaches whose schools closed during the pandemic. Um, we had the Black Lives Matter show uh, after the George Floyd incident, the Breonna Taylor. Um, and really a lot of those things really kind of came into place because of the COVID pandemic and the coronavirus. And I know on the show, I've said the corona a lot and, uh, you know, in, in, in jest and, and fun times. And, um, you know, one thing that I figured out, and I've said this numerous times, was I just never had anybody super close to me that it affected for me to really grasp it. I knew it was a problem. I knew it was a thing, but it never like really hit home yet. Um, and this week, it was just by chance, this person just kind of slip of the tongue basically admitted that they um, had had it for a couple of days and tested positive. Um, that I had to reach out and just say, Hey, if you're comfortable talking about it, let's talk about it. And he was super open for it. And I'm really glad that we got him on this week. What do you think? Oh, I mean, he's, he's a really good person, great coach and a, and a good friend. And I'm glad he's great coach is kind of suspect. I, I, he's, he's a great friend. Uh, no, no, I, I'll, I'll defend your honor, Nathan. Um, but <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, again, I really hope he's doing well and, and his family's doing well, which seems like they are. And, uh, yeah, just as, I mean, really just a ton of, ton of respect for him for coming on and sharing his story. Coaching with the coronavirus. Let's get into it with thinking, Cody. Clock strikes upon the hour and the sun begins to
First of all, before we get through this interview, how pissed is Patrick McGinnis going to be that you're on the show by yourself? I, I haven't texted him yet. Oh, uh, no. You know, I was he, really hoping that you would do so. Uh, he actually got sick a couple days ago. Um, really? Yeah. His, from what he's told me, it, it's not that bad. Um, okay. But his boss came down with it, and then it just sort of spread from there. Um, so I, I've held off and I'm going to, I'm going to send him the link as soon as you guys. <laughs> so Patrick, like, I, I'm, I'm so waiting for the text messages, the DMS, everything, how mad he's going to be that we've had the show on, um, without him, but I'm hoping that, uh, it coerces him to get back into things. And now we can have a true contest to see, you know, which show does better. Is it Patrick McGinnis or is it our guest this week? From his dream job of Texas A&M, ladies and gentlemen, Nathan Kogut's in the house this week. Nathan, last time you were on, you were talking about your dream job. Yeah. You were, you know, you were doing things on the East Coast and, and just you know, trying to make moves and talked about your dream job when you are on Soccer Chat. And then a couple months later, that dream school calls you because they heard the show. Yep. Preach to everyone, Nathan. Preach to everyone. So uh, we, we did, uh, with Pat, a best friends version of this podcast. Had a great time doing it. Um, and it was like July, and then I moved to Illinois, took a Division three job in Illinois, Illinois College. And I was in uh, you know, Nick's conference, got to see him. Um, Monmouth is a friggin' machine. Don't want to deal <laughs> with him. And uh, I, honestly, you guys asked a question about what's your, what's your dream job right now? And my question was, I would love to work at A&M and uh, just learn, just follow what have you. Um, and the Monday after the Super Bowl, G called and was like, we've got a spot. Are you interested? And it was literally because the athletic trainer who I've known through soccer camp and all that stuff for years had listened because she's friends with Pat and I. And she heard me say it in their staff meeting that morning. It said, do you, uh, are you guys comfortable with Nathan Kogut? And they said, holy cow, let's get in touch with them. And I mean, it was wild. It was, I didn't know anything was open. They called by the, by Wednesday, I was flying home Thursday, I interviewed, I was back on Friday. I mean, you know, I woke up, I woke up to a text message from, you know, the head coach G and it said, would you be interested? Like, uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's have a conversation. <laughs> wait a minute. Wait a minute. You didn't plug the show. Um, and, and I know like soccer coaches right now are like, okay, this is definitely a Nathan Kogut episode. Cause now we're talking about Hamilton rather other than him, uh, getting a job. But, uh, I mean like July 3rd, did you watch it July 3rd or did you wait a couple of days? July 3rd, July. I, uh, I'm the only one in the family who has Disney plus, um, I had started listening to the, uh, most of the soundtrack again that week leading up to it. Um, and, uh, like I just, it, with context, it is fantastic. I mean, I know the soundtrack is good, but it, for me, it didn't carry some of the emotional weight that other it had for other people until you see it yeah. and then watching it, it was just, this is fantastic. Well, I felt bad because I saw somebody 
uh, I think it's somebody I went to college with or went to high school with posted that because like watching the one with the original cast on Disney plus that they probably would never actually go watch it in person because it's not the same crew. And I was like, you can't do that. Like you still got to go watch it in person because it's still going to be now. Like my wife even says like, it's not as good, but it's like, no, it's still good. Like I was texting Nathan, like I went and saw it in Chicago with my wife a couple of years ago. And the crazy part is the guy who plays George Washington on the act, the original one, his twin brother, like identical twin brother is in the Chicago cast and plays George Washington. And you like, you can't tell a difference between the two. Wow. Um, and the guy who played Hamilton and basically everybody except for King George, George Washington, and oh gosh, one of the, one of the sisters, it was like everybody had gotten sick and it was like the, the freshman squad was out there and it got one of the highest rated performances uh, that the Chicago one has done. And I just remember it being floored, like, yo, the Hamilton dude was the third stringer and like got one of the highest rated performances like that. Like how good is the actual squad uh, for the Chicago cast? But I've always said, and I tweeted uh, Lynn Manuel this once that uh, they just actually are getting ready to open it up in Puerto Rico. And I thought that that would be my only chance at ever being able to play King George was if it was in Puerto Rico. I think that they would feel like King George would have a black beard and dark skin. <laughs> That's a good point. I mean, what's your guys' favorite song? You'll be back. I, you, actually, I didn't know that one. Is that yours too, Nathan? No, actually, um, I like uh, What I Miss. That's, dude, that's in, my, I, that's in my top, I would say like three. Unpopular I'll be, I'll be opinion. Totally honest. I, I was texting Sean this. I said before I had really listened to the soundtrack at all, um, the mixtape, uh, my shot had Buster Rhymes and a couple other people in it. It was fantastic. Yep. Um, and then Jimmy Fallon, the couple days before, put out a Zoom cast version of Helpless. And it was with the roots and having homemade instruments. And it was awesome. And it, it was catchy enough that I was like, I really can't wait to watch this. And so I would say what I miss, my shot and helpless rotate. They're all stuck in my head. I, I sure really like wait for it too. Like that. I just like the beat of it. Like it's probably like my favorite like beat of the whole, the whole thing. I, the, I will the, say being able to, to see it. Um, I did not listen to like Kelly Clarkson's version of uh, quiet uptown. Yep. Um, but when you watch the when you watch it on Disney, it's so powerful that I then went back and listened to it, and then I listened to the soundtrack and was, holy cow, that's a that's a fantastic song. I mean, when you can see them do the act and how emotional it gets, that's it's a great it's a great performance. The yeah. the opening part of what did I miss before it gets like real heavy and fast? Mm -hmm. That's actually the best part of the song is the opening part. Yeah, it's like it's super catchy, it's smooth, and like if that song was like that for the next three minutes, it'd still be a hit song. Mm -hmm. But yeah. I was watching, um, I was watching an interview the other day with uh, Lin Manuel, and he was talking about. Um, of course, I, I did as soon as I saw it. Like I didn't even know that creating your all-star Hamilton cast was a thing. And I remember like the night that we watched it, I didn't know anything about Hamilton. I'd never been to a musical in my life, and I just instantly like I could hear the influences uh, just even from that Chicago cast. And then like my wife was playing the soundtrack on the way home and we were listening to it. And I was just like, Oh, well, that sounds like that should be like Buster Rhymes. 
that sounds like that should be this person. That sounds like this should be this person. And then to come and find out, like doing some research, like that's actually how he came up with it. And like he was talking about, um, there are various lines and cadences that if you really pay attention, and this should be right up Nick's alley, and you're really, really in tune with 1990s, early 2000s hip hop, you will know the exact cadence and you will know the exact word for word of the songs that they came from. Um, that it was just like, that was mind blowing to me. And then to find out, we didn't, like when we went to the show, I saw the mixtape thing and I was like, what's the mixtape? But nobody told me what it was. Well, then it come to find out it was, you know, current artists um, doing the songs. And then to see that Buster Rhymes actually did the part that he inspired, I was just like, okay, like this is crazy. Yeah. I thought that uh, what I did not know going in, and there was quite a bit I didn't know, like uh, King George is the one of the main characters in Mindhunter. Had no idea that the dude could sing. Didn't know he was on Glee or any of that stuff. You know, he wasn't going to do Frozen 2 if they didn't let him sing? I didn't know that. I he's know, Finn, I, man. I or no, no, he's Kristoff. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, he technically he is Finn, too. <clears throat> but then, um, so he shows up, and I'm like, oh, maybe this is just a one-off thing. Had no idea he could sing. I just was absolutely floored. Uh, but you've seen, you've seen Frozen, though, right? I have not seen Frozen. I've made it. Dude, I don't have kids. How have, you, how have you done? How have you worked camps and never seen Frozen? Well, been very blessed the last couple of years to be a director instead of a, <laughs> actually a, a coach. And then they, I'm usually in charge of the older age groups. So okay. I've, I've, been, I've heard a couple of songs, but I have not, uh, couldn't tell you anything about it. I've been, so have you heard his song from Frozen 2? I have not. Okay. So <clears> imagine <throat> like. Uh, do you remember the, the guy, Peter Cetera, that used to be the lead singer of Chicago? Yes, v- vaguely. So Jonathan Groff does a, like a 1980s rock ballad is his song in Frozen 2. And it's so crazy good. Like they had Weezer redo it and they totally butchered it. Really? But like Jonathan Groff, like when you, the, when we watched it in the theaters and I closed, and I, obviously I knew who, who was doing the part, I could hear like 1980s ballads just going through my mind. I'm like, Oh, like some old school Van Halen, some Chicago, the very pieces there. Um, he's so talented. And if you, and I, I definitely don't want to get on here. Well, I guess I can say it now. Have you seen the video of what he said was his inspiration for King George? I haven't, I honestly haven't watched. I mean, I've been sick. I haven't done anything. I'm showing like how much of a nerd I am about this. Like it's the only musical I've ever watched. I've like yeah. watched all these interviews. So um, there's a YouTube clip where Jonathan Groff is at a drag show and they're interviewing him about, mm-hmm. you know, various parts that he's played. And um, they start talking about playing King George. And he's like, you know, it's kind of funny. People ask me, where did, you know, we always get our inspirations from something. And he's like, whenever I, the first time I heard the song, you'll be back. And the, the guy who wrote it, sang it to him uh, and sang it kind of in this way. He's like, I just like was like looking up stuff. And I found this video of Barbara Streisand performing. And he goes, and I'm totally going to edit myself for this. But uh, he said, you know, she looked like, when she was singing to herself that she was basically banging herself. Like she felt like she was doing it to herself while she was singing. And he's like, so I just like based my performance of King George off that, like when King George sings and when he talks, it's like he's banging himself. And I know that's so weird to be talking about right now on a soccer chat podcast, but it was just, and then like it causes you to go find this, this Barbara Streisand video because he tells you what it is and you watch her. And then you go back and watch Jonathan Groff and it's like, literally the exact same thing it's mind-blowing like how talented uh you know these these characters these characters these actors and actresses are my thing is just i watch mindhunter 
and read the book. And this guy is, I mean, that's a dark, dark show. I mean, he has to go to some pretty dark places. And then he plays basically someone who lightens the mood in Hamilton. And I mean, I just had no idea, not only that he was, he was in it, but that he could sing. I mean, well, he's, I just, he's more of a uh, musical guy. He is. <laughs> he's TV shows. He's uh, absolutely. I was absolutely floored by, by that. But then David Diggs was. Uh, I didn't know incredible. That wrote, I didn't know that they wrote the same guys that were um, that happened to die in the first act. They recycled him and yeah. So it was very, very powerful. I had no idea that he would be John Adams and um, he was Jefferson. Jefferson. Excuse Jefferson me. and Lafayette. Yeah, and I was like. Oh, this is uh, this is really good. This was and I and you know he's on Snowpiercer or something and yeah, I just I'd never heard of half of these people. Now all of a sudden I can't stop listening to their music. <laughs> what a what a great way to start off for the first fifteen minutes uh, of a soccer episode of, <laughs> of talking about Hamilton. But uh, you know one of the reasons why we wanted to have Nathan on this week, um, it's been like I don't know just the last obviously two thousand twenty has been absolutely insane. Um, and that's, you can go back and start listening to our shows right around March, like when all this got started and, you know, talking to, um, coaches whose closes stopped, uh, or closes her, their schools closed. Uh, you know, we did the black lives matter right after the George Floyd incident. Um, you know, just like so much crazy stuff has been going on and it's all kind of been going on because of, of COVID-19 and the coronavirus. Um, <laughs> and you know, not, luckily or thankfully, but we're, we're so happy to have Nathan on um, because he's currently dealing with this. He's on, was it day 18? I think you said earlier today. Day 18. Day 18 of having COVID-19. Um, so let's just kind of, let's start from the beginning, man. Like, again, thank you so much for coming on and talking about this, but kind of like you said in text with me, like if this will help one person, um, obviously that's what we're trying to do. So, you know, for Nick and myself and those who are listening, take us back to, to kind of day one or even a couple of days before that, uh, when you kind of, maybe when the, the feeling started, I, I don't know what, what are things that, that you've went through? I'll, I'll be honest. Uh, I thought uh, I'll go back to what you were saying. Um, I appreciate you guys having me on. I think that it's, uh, education, especially during this time is not just soccer related. If there's a lot of other things that we can be like learning. Hamilton. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, the Black Lives Matter episode is fantastic. Um, and I think that that is just a different perspective for a podcast that a lot of times is about people's journey and um, where they are now and different things like that. But that was just a very, very, very good um, episode and discussion. Um, uh, I have I found that uh, a lot of us have been really, really fortunate. We just don't know anybody. And that with who has had, who has been diagnosed or has had COVID and it's, you know, it's a blessing. Um, I really didn't know anybody. Um, but I would say I, it was uh, three weeks ago. Um, I, our club reopened, uh, started training again, June 2nd, and we had done a really good job social distancing. And uh, we started in little grids. And then within the next week, we were able to go to pattern play in some rondos and then the week after that, we had um, we gotten into four v four and five v five, and as we had done that, you know, uh, cases were I, I want to say silently creeping up in the state. It wasn't like bang, seven thousand people are diagnosed with it today. It was the cases were increasing, but and they were increasing here in town. But um, 
you just, nobody knew anybody. They've been growing in triple digits. You know, every day it was a hundred, hundred new people, 120 and all these things and hospitalizations weren't very high. And so you just don't know anybody. And so I did uh, a Tuesday and Wednesday session um, for about two and a half hours and was around a good chunk of kids. And um, at, at some point the week before someone had tested positive um, and he was in the ER for something totally unrelated and they tested him. It was a player, a young player. And you kind of look out and realize that, uh, you know, he had it. There's people, there's other kids here who have to have it. Um, it just, the percentages just make sense. And, um, you know, one of the things that our, you know, Andy, our athletic trainer talked about was that if you're exposed, you have, usually you're going to see something in two to five days. And so if I was exposed on Monday or Tuesday, uh, Monday, I was doing training sessions with, uh, some of our kids who were going to college. Um, Thursday morning, we tested with A&M. Um, when our girls came back and goodness, by Thursday afternoon, around four, I just started coughing. It was just, I felt a tickle in my throat and started coughing by nine o'clock that night. I had started to develop a fever. I mean, you could just, I could just feel my body, um, heat up. And, uh, Friday morning I woke up at six 30 shivering, I had the shakes. Um, you could tell I was hot. My head hurt. I was sore. I was still coughing and uh, went downstairs and checked my temperature. And it was, you know, 101, I think. And it was, okay, this is, this is not very good at all. Um, and from there, it was four or five days of, I, I've had the flu before. I've been sick before. Um, I've had the bad, a bad version of the flu. This was the worst four or five days I've ever felt um, in my life. Um, the fever went away relatively quick. I was very lucky with that. Uh, checked it every morning. Um, but just, it, it just beat me up. Um, my lungs, my lungs burned that whole weekend. Coughing wasn't too bad, but, um, it was, it was, it was bad. Um, and the bigger issue, uh, now is that, um, when you are exposed, a lot of times you don't show symptoms for a few days. And so you're shedding a virus that is very, very dangerous around people and you don't know that you have it. And so the bigger problem was that my dad had done a very good job of staying away, working from home, avoiding people. And we're at the house, you know, you're not really socially distancing very much. Um, in high traffic areas, you're, you're, you put a hand on the refrigerator, you know, that virus sits there for 10 minutes and he opens up the fridge. He's, you know, got it around him. And so by Sunday night, Monday morning, he was starting to show symptoms too. And um, he's 64, 65 years old. It's not a good thing. And so right around the time that he got into getting sick, um, I was starting to kind of come out of it. Um, and so we kind of rotated, but um, it, it was not good. Um, we spent the last, we spent about those, we spent three or four days where he, he progressively got weaker. Didn't matter what we could do to, to feed him or make him drink or anything like that. He just, we both lost our appetite. Water wasn't going down for him very easily and, uh, it's hot. And he was trying to do some of the same things that he was, 
used to doing and the energy just left. And uh, last Tuesday, actually, his, uh, he, he was just, I realized that I could not continue to care for him in the way that he needed to be cared for. Um, I was sick. Um, he was sicker. And uh, I, I had to take him to the ER. And you had texted me asking to, uh, to speak on it. And um, they don't let you in to the ER. Even if you're healthy, they don't let you in. So I not only had to take my dad to the emergency room, but all I could do was put him in a wheelchair and wheel him to somebody and they take him away. You can call and get updates, but they don't let you in there and they don't call you. So you're just kind of, I, I don't cry very often that, uh, that wrecked me. Um, yeah. my dad's my guy. And that was, uh, that was terrible. Um, sh nobody should have to do that. And I know based on uh, the people in the waiting room and things like that, that uh, I wasn't the only person who had to do it. And it's, it's rough. Um, and uh, they couldn't accept, they couldn't admit, admit him um, because the cases are so high here that he did not meet the criteria for admittance that night. Um, oh. He was sick. They knew he was sick. His labs and his blood work and everything like that came back as, this guy's a COVID patient. Um, he's got bilateral pneumonia. Uh, three of his four lobes were uh, inflamed and had fluid in it. Um, but his oxygen had, didn't meet the minimum criteria for admittance. They couldn't afford to give up a bed to him. Um, so I had to come back, you know, six or seven hours later and bring him home. Um, and the best thing they did was give him fluids, but um, which was more than he had been getting. And it kind of enabled him to be strong enough and catch back up. Um, but it has been a long week uh, since then. I so, bet so. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it's not fun. It's, it's that part's not fun. The actual virus and being sick part's not fun. Um, when I see these COVID parties and things like that, or, you read these stories on people that are saying, you know, I just want to get it and get it over with. I mean, there's a good chance you get it and nothing happens. And then there's a chance you get it and like you have a headache and a cough for a few days. And then there's a chance it just wipes you the hell out. You yeah. know, and not only that, but you get it and you don't know you have it. And then you give it to a couple other people who can't fight it off as well as you. So, and that seems like it's the biggest issue is like the, the people that, Again, like you said, there's a, a trail effect of that. You, you might have it and you have no idea for the first few days and who you come in contact with. And then you have these other people that just don't care at all, that just want, that want to go out there and get it. And, like, and, it's, and I think that's the biggest issue. Like, I mean, Sean, I think you retweeted today that New Zealand's completely done with cases. Yeah. Like, or, or they're close to. I, I, like that they're able to reopen their, their country. And it's just like the problem is like we have so many people here that just like you could tell like – you can tell them to wear a mask all you want and they're just not going to, you can tell them that. Yeah. That's exactly what it is too. Yeah. And <laughs> they get sick and they won't stay at home. And that, I think that's the problem is like, we have people like Nathan who do a good job. And as soon as they recognize it, it's like, okay, I need to get out of society and stay at home and things like that. And then you have other people that just won't do that. And I think that's the main issue we're having is the people that are going out there and repeatedly getting people at person after person sick. 
the the other problem, and I, I will admit that I'm uh, very privileged that the moment that I got sick, um, I called our athletic trainer who gave me some tips. It was a Friday morning, so I could sit Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, hoping that I would get my test results Monday. Um, and then um, she called on Sunday morning and told me, asked me how I'm feeling and said, well, you, you're positive. And so I called the people that I needed to call and it didn't put me out to know that I had to be, if I healed the right way, I would still be gone for 10 to 14 days. Yep. Um, and there are people that can't afford to do that. And I'm not, no. I'm not ignorant to that fact, but there are people who are very ignorant and asymptomatic know that they uh, don't feel anything, but will go into crowds or do things that you just give it to somebody. And yeah. just, well, it's know. crazy to think about too. Like even like people that we've had on the show since January, how many people we know that were in convention in Baltimore this year that all said, as soon as they got back home, they basically had the same symptoms and had the same feelings. Like I, I, I think I keep bringing up every like a week, like Ian Wilson, one of our good buddies swears that he had it as soon as he got back. Cause he was out for like a week and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, my father-in-law came down. My, my wife had something very similar to it. Um, right around February, about time that like I got back from Baltimore. Um, <clears throat> and then, uh, you know, my father-in-law had, had kind of the same thing that my wife had and, um, it's just, and I think they came out and they figured out that Carly Lloyd had it before it was even a thing. Um, I mean, they didn't test for it, but basically the symptoms were the same. She was out for like a week and a half. Her husband was out for like two weeks. Um, it's just so crazy. Like you said, like how easily it can get moved around. And, you know, there are things that, you know, we try to do, you know, we do our best about wearing masks out in public and, and things along those lines. And, you know, one night we had a, a good friend of mine came in town from, from Indianapolis and we went out to have dinner with him and we didn't have a mask. And, you know, just because of the environment we were in, I was just like, I, I don't care at this moment in time. But then like when we got home, I was like, oh crap. Like, I don't know the people who were like walking around around us. Um, I don't know what they've done. I don't know where they've been. And it's the same thing for coaching right now too. When it comes to attempting to play in the fall, the thing that I keep bringing up is, you know, yes, we can kind of know what our own players are doing but I have no clue what your team is doing. And, yeah. with, you know, like with the testing or the screening policies and things like that, that conferences and, and schools are putting in place, you know, if I've got a two, three hour, four hour road trip I got to make and I get halfway there and you're telling me, oh, you know, we've got uh, a couple of kids with fevers. We got to cancel the game. Like, you know, stuff like that. Like, it's just like, man, like it's so hard when you don't know what the, the people across from you are doing. I mean, I, I literally had, uh, I had no symptoms until that Thursday afternoon. I mean, so it was, it, it was, you know, the people that I didn't want that, that could least afford to get sick in my family, you know, I couldn't, we, I couldn't protect them because I had no idea I, I needed to, you know, I, you know, I, and that, that, that really stings because it's, but I mean, my dad and I just, we, it was like we were two ships passing in the night with our symptoms. As he was getting worse, I was getting better at that point. And we are fortunate that I wasn't as bad as he was because neither one of us could have taken care of the other if that was the case. And so it was very lucky that um, like, I was able to manage my symptoms a little bit more 
and could do things to take care of them. Um, and there, but there are people that can't. Um, and there are also people that don't believe this is real because they just don't know anybody who has it. And uh, fortunately and unfortunately, you know, my dad and I were the first of those people for a lot of uh, folks. And, you know, it's eye opening. My dad knows a ton of people around the world because of his job. And he was the first one they knew. And all of a sudden it was, oh, you know, Dr. Kogut's got it. We need to take this seriously. And for my friends, it was, you know, not only do I have it, but I gave it to my dad. Um, and like, that's a, that's a big deal. So like when I, when I reached out to you, like, you know, I've seen kind of distant relationship people, um, like, you know, some guy that I had a class in college with that I, you know, I kind of hung out with like, uh, you know, I, I saw that he had gotten it, but you know, not somebody that I'm like still relatively close to, to this day. And when I saw yours, you know, I texted you, I was like, dude, like, I, I hate saying it, like, you're the closest person to me that I know that's gotten this. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess, I guess officially, like, cause we don't know whether Ian had it or not. I don't know if my wife had it or not. Um, so like, you know, for me officially, like you're the first person that I know that's closest to me that that's gotten it. So like, again, like what, like, it's so, you know, like you said, like we could sit here and do the precautions, but there's still that opportunity for it to happen. I'll and- be, I'll be totally, I'll be totally honest with you, Sean. I, uh, for those three months that we were completely shut down, my parents left the house once a week to go grocery shopping. That was how it wasn't that they were afraid. It was that they were being smart and they knew that they couldn't well, get there. He's a doctor. Yeah. And he's it, it, <laughs> not only a doctor, he's an immunologist. I mean, it, this was his field of study. Yeah. So he knew infectious disease that this was not something to play around with. And for me, I, there was nothing to do. We couldn't do anything but Zoom meeting. So it wasn't like I could go anywhere but walk around. And so when club soccer came back, that was the first real interaction that I had had with people. And I mean, you're you're managing it. You're trying to keep stuff away. Um, And it takes like a fist bump, you know, an elbow tap, you know, and all of a sudden, you know, you wipe your, your nose or wipe sweat off your face. And that kid didn't know he had it and you have it now. So, I mean, it, it's, uh, it, it was a perfect storm of just the one time that I sort of let my guard down to do my job. Um, and look what happened. I mean, uh, we, I, my family and I just had not done anything to put us in that position. And a lot of it is, you know, he's 64. My mom's 64. Um, one of the biggest reasons that the A&M job outside of being a really good job appealed at that time was uh, when I came back from my interview, both of them had bronchitis for the second time in like six months or something like that. And when I interviewed, neither one of them could get out of their chairs. They were just so sick. And it was, all right, it's kind of that time where I need to be back. Um, I've spent 13 or 14 years of my life away from home um, since I started college. It's probably time to come back and not only have a good job, but, you know, kind of help. Um, they're not as young as they used to be. And, you know, the hardest thing is when you get sick, you're just thinking of, I mean, for a lot, you're thinking, oh, shit, I've got this. I've got the thing that's on the news that people are dying from. 
Um, and I cannot afford for this to get worse. Um, and then all of a sudden when he starts to show symptoms, you're just, how could I do this? You know, that's, that's, that's really tough. And by the time that he, you're sick, it doesn't really matter because you've already shed that virus. So anyone around you is already going to feel it too. That's very difficult. So like with, with your mom and all this, I mean, like how has she kind of stayed away from, from everybody obviously, or you're just kind of isolating herself somewhere? He's uh, so this is a crazy coincidence. And my sister is a charge nurse in North Carolina. She's getting her PhD at uh, Carolina Greensboro actually. And um, she had surgery on the 20th and my mom left the 18th of June to uh, go up there and take care of her. And my sister and I got into it back and forth about, I don't think this is a good idea. You know, I understand you're having elective surgery. I don't think it's very smart for us to fly my mom up there. Um, and it turns out to be a total blessing in disguise because she's been gone. She was supposed to come back last week and that was right around the time. And two weeks ago, we just said, look, he's not even going to be done with his 10 day quarantine. And I will be three days past mine of that isolation period. Um, it doesn't make any sense. And then, uh, so she pushed her flight back to tomorrow. She gets back in, but we've got a quarantine or somewhere else for a week right now to make sure she didn't bring anything back. Um, so she has time to get tested and it's also to buy us time to, uh, get both my dad and I a little bit healthier, clean the house professionally. And, uh, you know, just make sure that when she comes back into that environment, we're not still sick. Um, to where within two days she's where my dad is. So she's lucky that she's gone. She decided she had to come back just because cases were, are skyrocketing. She didn't want the place to be shut down to where she couldn't come back. So it's been with my sister being a nurse, it's been rough because in her hospital, if my dad had showed up there last week, they would have admitted, admitted him. And so when I have to take that phone call from the nurse and then call another nurse about, Hey, this is what I was told. And it's totally different from the way that you guys do care in Greensboro. Um, that's frustrating. I can imagine that it's incredibly frustrating for her. And then it's her dad and her brother sick. So we've been very lucky that she can give us stuff to do and tips and things, but, you know, every time you talk to a doctor and then you got to turn around and tell another medical professional what that guy said, she's, and she's not there. She, it's, it's been tough. So my mom's not here. So her baby boy and her husband are, you know, sick as hell. And luckily she's not, but you're 18 hours away. That's rough. Yeah. But I mean, for you, like how, like how has everything been? Like, is your you feel like you're doing a little bit better? Dad's doing a little bit better. Everything. Uh, the last getting him home with fluids kind of turned everything around. Um, it it allowed his body to catch up, um, and I think that that was really important um, because he spent that first week that I was really sick. And hey, he had gotten sick, um, trying to do things the same way he had already, always done them. And uh, that included walking the dogs multiple times a day. And I mean, it's, it's 98 degrees here. This week, last weekend, it's been 
over a hundred. You know, right now I know that I've got the, the remnants of pneumonia in my lungs. When I go outside, I feel like I'm drowning. Like the air is so thick to me, my lungs burn so much. It feels like my I'm drowning. Um, he had fluid in almost covering both lungs. Still was going out walking the dogs, losing fluids like crazy and couldn't replenish them. So he just had no chance of getting better um, and getting those fluids changed things for him. Um, and he's gotten a lot better. Um, he's starting to eat. He's starting to walk around. My sister is able to uh, send a, uh, a spirometer, which is just one of those things where you put a tube in your mouth and you inhale and it opens your lungs up to start clearing out the infection and to make sure that they can stay open. And you're just like lifting a ball up and making sure that ball stays floating. Um, in the last three days, he's getting, was doing it three or four times an hour to 10 now. So that's a big progress. Um, but I mean, it's going to be weeks before he and I are, our lungs are anywhere close to what they were, if ever. So I think that's the, uh, I think that's the part. If you were to ask me one thing that I wish people knew more about, it's not the death rate. I think the death rate is, is something that is, uh, I don't want to call it overblown because so many people have died. But that's the one metric that people who believe this is not serious keep harping on. Um, it's the fact that uh, my dad two weekends ago biked 20 some odd miles in, you know, 90 minutes to two hours. He was just hauling ass. He can barely walk around the house right now. You know, a month ago, uh, I was running seven and a half minute miles. Now, all of a sudden, I can barely walk around the block. <laughs> You know, like my lungs are on fire. I mean, my body feels great. Lungs are just, I'd almost rather drown in a pool than feel like I'm drowning walking around, if that makes sense. Because at least I know why I can't breathe. And instead, the air is just so thick, my lungs can't handle it. So I wish people would talk more about um, if you have it and you don't heal like this, what, uh, what does it look like? You know, that there's lung damage for a 65 year old man. Is he going to be able to come back? You know, or do we have to be doubly careful not to bring anything around him? For me, I believe that I can come back, but you know, I've more than half my life to live. I hope is this going to affect me for the next 40 years? You know, that's, that's what I wish that we talked more about of, Hey, you live, but you're not going to live the way you were living before. If that makes sense. So yeah. we, we talk about our athletes. I want to, I want to coach this fall. I want soccer so bad. I want fall sports. I want everything to go normal. What terrifies me more than anything is not one of my athletes dying because that age group does really well, especially high level student athletes. It's what happens if three or four of them get sick and just one or two of them don't bounce back like they had the flu, but they bounce back like their lungs are on fire. And it was because we wanted to, we had to play, you know, like 
That's that, scary. Somebody, somebody brought that up today. Um, you know, I kind of got put on blast, which was okay because I was like, put my name on it. Um, you know, college soccer truth used my quote. So it's, it's funny because I think they kind of made it like I sent them a message, but they, you know, they got a hold of me this morning. It was like, hey, what's NAI saying? And I just said, you know, still plan on playing on the fall, but if enough institutions or programs, um, conferences say something different, then, you know, they're going to look at that as an avenue. Or if it's deemed that it is unsafe to play in the fall, then they're going to look at uh, the spring. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they just said, you know, what do you think? And anybody who knows me and has talked to me on the phone or in our Zooms or, or text messaging, I will tell you exactly what I think. And um, I told them and they said, okay, yeah, do you mind if we use this? Like, we'll make it anonymous. And I was like, no, put my name on it. Like, I said it, like, just use it. Um, and it was really interesting because I kept thinking, like, man, I'm going to get put on blast. Like, but, you know, I don't care. And I think only like three people put me on blast. And I had so many more people that sent, reached out to me privately that was like, I'm not allowed to say anything publicly, but I agree with you. And like, for me, I know of higher ups in conferences. I know of higher ups in NCAA, NAIA, and all these divisions who are telling administrators, yes, we're planning on the fall, but there's no way we can do this. And the thing is like, if there's no way you can do it, then don't like what, like you said, like, it's not, it's not about the recovery. It's, it's what you're doing after the recovery. What are you able to do? And, you know, I, I get so pissed at so many people. You can't take our fall seasons away. What if I've got a player who's going to do whatever? Okay, cool. But what if that player who you've got expected to go on to some big time thing, like you talked about, they can't recover if they get it. What if they're that one of that four that get it? And then they're absolutely done. But if we give this time and, and give, us, give ourselves time to prepare, because, you know, every school that I've talked to, and obviously you being in the SEC, and it is, it's a lot different because it's a higher, um, you know, higher ballgame for you all. But I know, like, for us, like, just talking with coaches today, it seems like things that we're trying to plan to do right now, we haven't been planning on. And we should have been plan- making these plans in March. We should be making these plans in May, these protocols in May and March, and we're not, and we're being very reactive when we need to be proactive. And if we play in the spring, and I'm going to get off my soapbox here, but like if we play in the spring, it gives us time to make those plans and put them into place. And that way, because, you know, I said last week, and I'll say it again this week, John Lipset said on our show, no one is really ready to come back. We can sit here and tell ourselves, yes, I want to get back and play. I want to get back and coach. No one is really ready for this. And if we can get the kids back in the fall, educate them, educate ourselves, and, and to train of, hey, here's what it's going to look like going forward. Let's get used to wearing masks. Let's get used to social distancing. Let's get used to these protocols that are being put in place to us to where that becomes normal. Then your springtime when everybody comes back and hopefully the second wave is gone or the vaccine's out, whatever theory you want to believe, then by springtime, we should have it in our brains and we've, we've trained ourselves how to deal with this. And the, like the guy from the CDC today said, if we all will just wear a mask for six weeks, six weeks, put on a freaking mask, we can cut this thing out very, very quickly, mm-hmm. do a big dent to damage to it. But like you said, like there are just some people, and I'll use the word too, are just so ignorant that won't do it. And you can you can say it's a you know the whole theory of uh well it's a it's a political statement to wear a mask. Screw yourself. Like seriously. 
And, and the thing too, I, I love the, uh, the notion too, that people are saying is like, I'm not wearing a mask for myself. I'm wearing a mask for you. I'm wearing a mask for the person over there and the person over there, someone else's grandpa, someone else's aunt. Like that. I did that video the other day. Like it's not, it, it's literally not hard. Just put a mask on your face. It's not yeah. difficult. Yeah. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, I, I can, I can only speak for myself. Um, I want to play. I want to coach. I want my athletes back. Um, and you know, for us, our, our athletes are back and they are going through, um, you know, voluntary training and stuff like that. And they're being very, very cautious and things like that. And I know that us and our staff can really control that type of environment, you know, and that's, that's what we're, that's our, our new job. You know, I do worry. What does it look, how do I come back? You know, selfishly is do I, you know, it, we're in, we've got, it's the, what the 13th right now, 14th. Um, mm-hmm. We move back and start August 4th, you know, like we're setting up chest x-rays for my dad five days before that to make sure that he's okay. If he and I are even on the same timeline, you know, we, we could, am I back, you know? Um, and what does that look like? Um, I don't, and if I'm, if I, I don't want to get somebody sick, you know, I don't want, I want our seniors to go out the right way because we have some really good ones. I want our kids to come in and play. We've got such a talented roster. Um, but only speaking for Nathan Kogut, it's scary. Yeah. Um, this, this is, uh, I know that we can control our stuff, but my thing is, uh, if we don't slow the cases down where I am, you know, and we don't stop some of that spread, um, I don't, what happens? We have 60,000 people on campus, you know, all these professional sports teams are coming back in a bubble. How do you do that with student athletes? You know, I, I know that if I have to go coach club at night, I'm out of the bubble. I'm with kids that are in school spreading germs and all that stuff and then possibly giving it to me. And then I have to be careful with my parents, but then I have to go back and coach those kids. Those are girls. That's uh, that's difficult. So, I mean, now like in your situation, you know, when it comes to that, that recovery process and getting back, like what have you been told, whether it's by doctors, your club or A&M, like what's that, what's that going to look like for you when you are able to come back? I, I will say this about um, our staff is the moment that I told them I was sick, um, they haven't stopped checking in. They haven't stopped making sure that I'm taken care of. The moment they found out that my dad had taken a turn, um, if they're not checking in every day, it's every other day. Um, they are very much, um, you got we have to take care of this, you know, um, and the rest will take care of itself. You know, there's, there's stuff that they gave me to do um, that they know that I can't do at the moment. You know, it, this is, it's, it's just difficult um, to do. And so they're aware of it. Um, right now, I would say the next week or 10 days is going to say a lot about where personally I am. Um, I'm starting to walk around the block. Um, I'm starting to do a little bit more uh, activity to see where I'm at and uh, hopefully it continues to improve, but I'm fully prepared to uh, have to cut some of my exposure down. Um, 
I have to basically sit here and say, look, this stuff sucks, but my mom is coming back into my bubble. Um, my dad's lungs are not going to come back. Um, I have to be smart about some of my decisions and my choices. So A&M has been absolutely fantastic. Um, club's been, club's been good. It's just, uh, I think the thing that I'm going to say is, uh, that if you go on social media, people are posting a lot about, I'm afraid, you know, like I'm, people are telling you, you can't live your life in fear. Um, drop your dad off at the ER and know that you can only put him in a wheelchair and walk him to the door, you know, like that changes so much because two weeks, two and a half weeks ago, that was a perfectly healthy 64 year old man that I had to help get out of a chair and put in the car. Um, that's, that's what I'm afraid of, you know, like I, I, and I, and I've told a few people, this is, this gives some incredible, when you get really sick, it gives you some incredible perspective. This to me is not just a bad flu. There were times where I was sitting there thinking, holy shit, I've got what they're talking about on the news all the time. And, you know, when you talk to, you listen to my sister, tell some of her stories, people get better, especially my age. And then they turn like this the body starts attacking after it feels like it's healthy and it's still fighting and it's exhausted and it goes after itself. And then you turn again. And that's when people go to the ER and things like that. That's you start thinking about that and you're like, I'm not as invincible as I thought it was. And so, you know, those, those two things have been uh, humbling. Like uh, my dad's been my best friends forever. You know, he was my coach when I was younger. I mean, that's best part of this two and a half years being at home has been, I, if I, I don't have to call him to tell him a story. I just got to walk downstairs, you know, and uh, I had to go home after taking him to the hospital. Like I had to go back to the place where he was supposed to be um, because I wasn't allowed inside. That's just, yeah, I am afraid. You're right you guys haven't had to drop your dad off at the ER because he's sick with this virus. I'm all right with saying that. So for you, you know, you mentioned, you know, getting comfortable with what your surroundings are. And obviously that's going to be a slow process coming back into things. Do you view that as maybe going to campus for an hour and then coming back home and spending the rest of the day and like, ease into like trying to get back into things or, you know, obviously cause you don't just want to go full bore and your first full day that you feel good, like just going and spinning from sun up to sundown uh, on campus. So like for you, how do you envision um, that, that, that return? Because obviously the return is going to be different mm-hmm. for you than it is for everyone else. I think the dialogue that uh, I've been able to start with our staff has been very, very valuable. Um, A&M administratively, has done a very good job of making sure that, I mean, they, they have, I don't want to call it stalling, but they realize that, Hey, cases are going up. They've, they've pulled back on people going in. And so even right now we're only allowed to have a couple people in the offices at a time. Anyways, I have a laptop at home. I don't have to go in. Um, and that, and they've been very open with, you are totally fine to do that. 
as we start to get closer, um, I'm hoping that, you know, a couple of weeks from now, I am strong enough to go in for a little bit. Um, I'm hoping my body feels like it's coming back. Um, I envision going in for a couple hours at a time. If you need me to do something and you don't need me to come in and I don't, and I can do it from home, I'll do it from home. Um, but the other part is, is, you know, uh, you know, it sounds like we're testing, you know, the testing part is very, very important for, uh, the, um, um, uh, what's going on. So I don't know. I just, it's been a, we've had to have a lot of discussions with my, with my family and to be fair, that's, that's the most important part. I, I don't think that I, I think it, it, I did take it for granted. Um, and this, this changes uh, a lot. So I, but I, I will say this, I miss the hell out of my student athletes. Um, I miss my team a lot. Um, they've checked in, they've done awesome. I've tried to keep this relatively quiet. I, you know, I'm not big on seeking attention. You guys probably, I mean, you guys found out cause I think I put a tweet up that was very tongue in cheek anyways was, I just don't, I didn't have taste or smell five or six days in. And that's just a weird symptom to have. You know? I weird. think the tweet was uh, five days in and I've lost my sense of smell and taste. And I read it. And I was like, wait, I think, I think does Nathan have the Corona? I, I, and so I, I sent you a text. I was like, Hey, like what's going on? Yeah. It, it's the weirdest thing. And it was, you know, and so that was how a lot of people, you, you and announced it, you announced it in only the way that you could. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I'm not looking for, uh, I think my mom put something up on social media yesterday, um, was the first time that anyone in the family had said, this is what's going on. And a lot of it was because, you know, her husband is super sick. Yeah. Um, put a mask on, you know, she had to listen to him cough up a lung, you know, on the phone. That's heartbreaking. So you know, that, that was a, um, that's a big deal. So it's, I'm, I miss my kids, man. I miss being able to go out and, uh, coach. That's the thing that's, you know, I, I kind of want to go back full board, you know, like I, I, I want to see my kids. I mean, you, Nick, I mean, Sean, you barely had any time with yours and Nick, I mean, you, you were with division three, you couldn't do a lot before. Oh it was shut down. So you're going on months and months and months now. Yeah. And that's, a, I think that's going to be the hardest thing to me, whatever the decisions made up. That's why I like, I'm very much for the, and again, I, I think we're all in different points and where the division is and school is and things like that. But like, I want to go spring too, because like, I don't see the point of us coming back for potentially six games. Like I like try to convince, I mean, and again, our girls will play whatever they don't, they don't like, they'll just be excited to play a soccer game again. If we, if that's what happens, but like to come back to play, we have like our conference went North and South. We'd have to play six games. Yeah. Like that's, I mean, and we might not get non-conference games. I mean, I'd rather push it back to spring and get us closer to 10 or 12 or whatever, because right now, I mean, again, like you won't even be able to get everyone in a game. I mean, not that that happens to anyone, everyone anyway, but I mean, for division three, most of the time, like, I mean, you can ask Sean, like last year, I think I played like average of like 23 kids a game just because I was like, eh, I'm just going to, I'm going to play bodies and just. And he won it. And he won the conference <laughs> tournament and he made it to the national tournament. I don't want to hear yeah. nothing about you playing 23 kids no more, my guy. <laughs> you're, you're building depth. I mean, but, uh, and my, my, my thing is, you know, non-conference is, uh, 
it's where you start finding stuff out about your team. Yep. And yep. Uh, some of those for some, like we, we lost Ohio State and Illinois, you know, and I've been very lucky. A&M, my first two years, Hawaii and Santa Clara and um, Pepperdine. So we got to go to Hawaii and then we went to Santa Clara and then Malibu, California to open the year. And those are non-conference games. Um, they, you know, two years ago didn't really help us. Last year it did. Um, but like those are team bonding things. Those are, those are trips. And even when I was in West Virginia and Illinois, those first couple of weeks when you're thrown together like that and a game that really it matters, but it doesn't, um, that's good for figuring out what you've got, but you get people around each other, man. I mean, those, yeah. those are some, th- those weekends pay off in November. Yeah. And that sucks to potentially lose. Yeah. You know? I, and again, I, I'm, I'm okay with it. Like for the safety of the kids, that's the thing. Like I totally get where it's coming from. And I think all of us are that there, yeah. but it's just like, that's why I like for us. And again, it's probably harder at the division one level, especially in the power five to like switch to a spring schedule but like for us it's just kind of like dude like it is it is it worth it to play six games i don't know the the thing that the thing that kills me is the group that says i'd rather play six games and have our game our season get canceled than wait and play in the spring and i and my my response is like okay well, well why yeah like i look at it as you know for nai we can't play a game until september 5th we start training on august 15th so you know, I think was NCAA is the 15th of August you guys can play? Uh, it, it depends on the division. It, yeah, it depends on division. So, like, you know, if you're – if there's a uh, – let's say one of the divisions, they can start games August 15th. Well, let's say you get two, three games in in that month, and all of a sudden something happens, and then the NCAA is like, well, nope, we're not doing this. We hadn't even played a game yet, and because the NCAA canceled, because something happened, maybe cases spike, whatever it may be, the second wave comes in. Mm-hmm. Now the NAI is like, well, nope, we're not doing this. And I've told everybody, like, they're not going to say, well, we're not playing the fall, so we're just going to move to the spring. That's not going to happen. They're going to say, well, we tried. So, yeah. like, I'd much rather – and I think the kids are the same way. And, and, and Nick and I and, and our close group of friends have had this conversation because for – I have one out of every probably ten people that say, if we move to the spring, kids won't come back. And I find that so hard to believe when – if we say for a fact, hey, we're playing in the spring, their spring season, basically what Juco put out today, your, your fall season is basically now your new spring season. You're going to train. You may play a couple uh, scrimmage exhibition games. And then after uh, Christmas break, when it comes, you know, March, whatever it may be, you're going full on like it's normal. I think kids would be like, okay, hey, that's what we're doing. My team specifically talking with them on Saturday when I said, hey, here's, I just laid it out like, look, as of right now, we're in the fall, but I made the push for the spring season. Our school backs me on it. All of our coaches from fall, winter, and spring back it. And here's why I'm, I'm pushing forward. And it's basically, and it's for you. And we have internationals. We have internationals that can't come here until January 1st. And I can't imagine, let's just say the squirrel finds the nut and we make it to the conference championship and we win. And one of our featured players is home in Scotland with like, uh, without her own control. She's there for something that's not even in her control. I can't think of what it's like to be our international students right now who have no chance to come in. There's coaches we know of 
that are across the seas right now that can't come back for the fall. And like, I can't like for the life of me, just for everybody involved, everybody's safety and that's involved, you know, I had a good conversation with a coach today and he said, you know, all these people who do not want to play in the spring, who want to play in the fall, what is it that you're holding on to so tightly that you will not even entertain the idea? And you, and he, and you know, he said, they can't tell me it's about safety. That's not what they're hanging on to. So what is like, what's the one thing that you guys think that somebody who absolutely does not want to play in the spring or, and wants to keep the fall, like what, what could that one thing be? The only thing I could come up with was routine. Like that's just I what think, you're used to. And I'm saying this, and like I've said before, in my position, it's a position of privilege. Um, is that uh, I know that if the SEC makes the decision that we're going to play conference only, we're going to bump back the start date into September, which I believe that at this point is the safest route to go to begin with. And I think that that's where – uh, conferences are going, if they haven't outright canceled, that's where they're going to go to begin with. Cause it does buy you time. And I think that that's reactive instead of proactive. Um, we could have made this decision two months ago. Yeah. Um, and, and that, that is a, you know, that's neither, that's neither here nor there at this point. Um, is that, you know, for us, um, is that the sec, those schools have money to do things to make the players safe. Yeah. Um, and that, that is, um, to me, if we can do that and we can control that aspect, then I think we're going to go ahead with that. And I'd be, I would be okay because I know that we, we, I don't know how we would make it like a bubble, but we've discussed it. Um, some sort of bubble season, you only interact with your teammates. We need you for two, three months, especially if it's conference only, we're going to shorten the season as it is. Um, so we need it for eight weeks, 10 weeks, something like that. Um, and then we get it over with. Um, and if that's the case, I trust that because I know we have the money and the capacity to test, trace, isolate, and keep kids safe. If I was somewhere else that wasn't with our budget, it, it would change things. And so, I, as someone who has it, I'm like this. I mean, I know you, you got, everyone else can't see it. I'm, I'm 50-50. I'm so on the fence. I want Nathan to. is raising both hands at the same time. Like he's, like I've got he's back on a slinky. Yeah. I'm, uh, and I'm 50-50. And, I, I'll be, and I say that as someone who's sick and sucks, um, I am 50-50 on it. Because of where I am, I know that we could probably keep our kids safe. If I was at, Illinois, if I was at IC and Nick and I were talking – um, I think my, I think my viewpoint changes. It absolutely does. There's just, it, I, it, six games by the time you get rolling, it's over. Yeah. Oh, I mean, like, honestly, like I, I just think about that and like every single year we started and like, I, we get six games in the season. I was like, Jesus, like, how do we get a third of the way done with our season already? And like, now it's going to be like, Oh shit, this, the season's over. And yeah, so I don't know. It'll be it'll be interesting to see what they decide. D three council meets on Wednesday, and will probably tell us if they don't know anything, and we'll decide in August, and that will be that will be the next step. And I'll have so many happy girls that I get to tell that I still have no idea what we're doing, because that's well, like that's that's the hardest thing. It's, it's like, like somebody told me the other day they were like, "Well, we everybody has to make these decisions now because there's a short window." And I'm like, "No, they can make this decision the week school starts if they want." 
Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Like there, there's no such thing as a window for this. They can decide, you know, the day our kids report, they can decide that day. Well, mm-hmm. Hey, we're doing conference only, or Hey, we're going to move to the spring. There's, there is no window on this. Cause if you put a window on this, you're asking for trouble. My, my thing is, uh, I, I, I like all of our kids are back, you know, like they're, they're working out in the facility. Um, they're not allowed on the soccer field yet. Um, so to me, that is, that is my, my iffy part is, are they going to be ready to roll? Um, and if you move it to back to September, are they, um, are, are we starting camp on time? Are we starting preseason on time? And the thing is, is all these schools are changing their start dates um, to where you lose the ability to have two a days or three a days. Yeah. We're in that that was, that that was always the thing for us is, you know, at at division two level, you still had five or six days of runway to get there. Division three level, you had less at division one level. We have, you know, we are, we are the first sport back besides football and we are the first game on campus usually for uh, Aggie athletics for the school year. I mean, we're back. School doesn't start till the week uh, leading into September and we're already four games in. You know, like if we, if they move school up and preseason combines with that, how do you do that? Are we just going into one training session a day because of school? That's, that's new. And I'm only speaking for myself. I, well, I mean, that's the same, like, so we, we're doing the Notre Dame method too. Like we're starting early. Um, our kids all move back on the original start or on their original move-in date on August 9th. And then they start classes on August 11th because they're going to take the 10th to kind of go through educate, do orientation and, and, you know, all that typical f- stuff that they, they typically do within four days because the kids typically move back and we've got the ability to do two days for a week. They've got their like three or four day orientation. Um, and now it's like, they're, you know, obviously they're going to cram that into, into one, one and a half days. Um, so, you know, for me, I'm thinking, okay, when we come back, like, all right, like, yeah, we'll get two days. And it's like, Oh no, like classes start literally as soon as they get back. Cause we're going to get this done before Thanksgiving. It's new. It's new. And I mean, it's just, uh, I think for me, I don't, I don't know how you win with this. I don't, I don't, because you're going to, if you move it, the optics look better, but you got a whole bunch of people that are just like, like I said, the virus has a less than 1% chance of killing you. We're, we're bending over backwards for all of this. And you guys have already mentioned, I mean, look at Europe, look at New Zealand, Look at all these places that are open, you know, and we're having this stupid conversation four months later still, you know, and we were, we're just weeks, we're a couple weeks behind all of them. And then if you don't do anything, you have the people that are pissed off because you don't care, you know, and there's, there's no, I don't know. There's just, it just feels like we keep kicking stuff down the road. Yeah. And I say this as someone that was, I, I, I don't understand living with people that have PhDs in public health and microbiology and infectious diseases. I don't understand how this all became, um, I don't know. Anti them. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't understand how this became about Liberty when there are, there are free countries around the world that shut this down. Yep. You know, and what was they, the, uh, the baseball game I saw the other day, full crowd packed to the gills shoulder to shoulder i wish i could remember what country it was it was in korea they had that and then france had the psg game yesterday and they had like ten thousand people at that game 
I feel like it, I feel like it was like Taiwanese baseball. May have been. I mean, because because Korea, I just keep seeing the robots and the the sex dolls uh, that they yeah. put in their stadiums. It, Taiwan, Korea, Japan, they all. Yeah, like, it's it's insane. It just and because I remember reading about the the baseball game for Taiwan. I was somebody said, you know, how could this happen? And somebody wrote and said, look, like these people know that when it comes to scientific stuff, you go to the scientists and you know what? Yeah, they may be wrong every now and then, but they're going to correct that mistake. Uh, kind of like we want our players to do. They, they correct it and they go back and, and get it fixed. Um, and, you know, they, there as a country, they looked and said, okay, what do we do? The scientists told them. And basically everybody wore a freaking mask and stayed at home unless you needed to go uh, to the thing. And the other thing too about like with schools opening back up and, and with getting back into the seasons. So if you think about where we were with cases when this all started in March and it was, oh crap, we got to get the kids out of school. Got to get the kids out of school. And now it's even worse. And it's like, we got to get them back in there. Like somebody posted, I think, I, I think it may have been Shannon, Nick, that posted this about yeah. um, a school was on fire and somebody's saying in the cartoon, like, we got to get the kids out. Got to get the kids out. Well, then you see the fire get even worse. And the person saying, we got to get the kids back in there. And it's like, again, it comes down to the safety thing. And, and I know like you as a, um, you know, now as, as a 50-50 person and, and two, I think you hit the nail on the head. The thing that I've been searching for, in the last week or so of like, you know, reasons to stay in the fall, you hit the nail on the head, your school, your program has the resources in order to make it work for you all. But then when you think of the moms, when you definitely think of the brushes of the world, um, you know, we don't have those resources to keep these kids safe. I know there are schools that have come out and said, like, if one person gets it, we're shutting everything down. And, you know, there's no, like, just isolating that one person. It's because they're the smaller schools that they, we just don't have the resources for it. I saw it cost the University of Houston $18,000 to test the football team. Mm -hmm. Just the football team. And, and it, the moment that their cases within the athletic department got out of, got, like, I think they had six within a week of coming back, they shut it down. Yeah. It, it's it, that, and that's expensive. And so I, one of my buddies, he's, uh, um, he's not in coaching, um, asked me about what I thought about, because the Big Ten really did go on their own and make the decision, no non-conference anything. And I understood it. It caught everybody off guard. Um, but the way that I see it is, because they're talking about, especially football, I'll use Akron or Bowling Green or Toledo or somewhere like that that gets – two or three by games from those schools and they make all state gets uh they play iu it was supposed to be iu and i want to say michigan state this year and they get two or three million yeah you know total and if you play three of those you're getting four your budget's taken care of and that's a large amount of your budget for other things um the thing is is that if wisconsin is playing akron wisconsin knows that they have funding to test everybody the Monday before the game and the Thursday before the game. Akron may only be able to test one of those times and they have to figure out which one it is. And by the time that they get that test back, those people that they couldn't catch at the beginning of the week have already infected 20 people on that team because they can't, that's not uniform. And it makes sense to sit there and say, guess what? Wisconsin and Nebraska, you have to have the same exact testing protocols, A&M, and LSU, you have to have the same exact testing protocols. And if you, because you can afford it, um, 
And once you go through that and you have everybody cleared, you're allowed to do this event. And like Louisiana Tech, I'm just throwing out schools, probably doesn't have the funding to match what LSU yeah. can do. And to me, that's it makes sense to, for the time being, make sure that you're dotting your I's and crossing your T's on this stuff if you're going to go ahead and play. I saw some school the other day, it was a small school, came out and said just for like the precautionary stuff, the equipment that they needed to get, everything else, they spent $2 million last Ooh, week. Really? On all of the equipment they were going to have to have and just like, because they wanted to be out in front of everything um, and went out and spent two million. Like we have, a, we have one of our brand new buildings on campus cost the same amount that this small school spent on testing equipment, whatever else that they needed. And like, like you said, like that's that, like, that's one football game for some of these teams to go to. And again, I, like I said, I think you perfectly answered what I've been looking for. Cause I had one of our good friends sent me a day and said, what conference can really play this fall? And I said, you know, I said, there's gotta be one Well, I'm sitting here and tell myself, no one can, there's gotta be somebody that can the power five, the power five can. It's a power five only. Mm-hmm. No one else is going to be able to pull it off. And that does suck. But I mean, a and, a, and I'm speaking from just A&M experience is they've, we were, we were, we not only brought football back on July or June 5th or whatever and allowed workouts to start the 8th. We were the first, but we were the first school that brought back everybody. Yeah. You know, and we were, you know, you're paying scholarships for kids to come back in the summer and you're paying staff to be there and do voluntary workouts and all that stuff. We, we, we had people back. We've had three testing dates just this summer, you know, for, uh, I mean, when I got tested, the four people in front of me were, uh, cooks in the athletic, uh, cafeteria above the football stadium. They, they had to test those people and they tested them pretty regularly, you know? And then when you look off to the side, our athletes are going through it and staff are going through this one, you know, like, when people are saying we're bring, you know, uh, I think it was one of the Mac schools said we're bringing people back and we are testing every student. It makes sense for a school like that to test all their students instead of just only their athletes. Yeah. If you're going to bring people back. You might as well test every single person. It's, can you do that consistently for everybody? Otherwise you just tested people in August. I don't really know what you're going to do in September. Yeah. And we, we're, there's not a lot of people that can afford to do that. I know like for NAI, it's, you got to test um, seven days before the first day of competition. So like, even when your kids report, like you have up until that September 5th date, basically, well, that week of September 5th uh, to get people tested. And like, you know, I've had so many coaches go, well, does that mean we have to test seven days before every game or like, because there's no way our school is going to be able to pull that off. Like, yeah, we're going to be able to test everybody when they come in, but then we're just going to have to be able to screen after that because like the tests do cost money but um man i'm so happy that you came on here with us and you know i think too as and this sounds really horrible and i i'm not trying to make it sound like that of all the people that i know of that could shed light on this getting it and and still carry on the way that you have i think you're the only person that could pull it off um, 
And, and again, I hate saying that. I absolutely, that like, yeah, Nathan, of all people who should get sick, it totally should have been you. I'm not like, that's not what I'm getting at. And I know that that's what people are, are reading into, but like, I mean, you've been so cool about this, even to the point to where like we were talking about it. And then like on Tuesday, like you mentioned, like that's when you had to take your dad to the ER. And all you did was like, Hey man, like can't record tonight, take my dad to ER, just let me get a couple of days with him. And then, you know, we'll be good to go. Um, and then you reached out a couple of days later, Hey, dad, stabilize, you know, l- l- let's do this thing. And, you know, just like we did with the, the Mac Murray coaches, just like we did with our black lives matter coaches and, and everybody else, man, like, thank you so much for coming on here with us this week and, and talking about this because this is very important. And in you and I, in our conversations and you brought it up too, like so many people think they're invincible and all it takes is that one person that you know directly or something happens to someone that you know that they know directly um, or you find some type of connection. And so now I think so many of our, um, so many of our friends from the show, everybody always talks about the famous Nathan and Pat episode, uh, <laughs> that now it's like, oh my gosh, like, oh my God, crap, like Nathan got it. Um, so as, as we go out here, before you tell everybody your, um, your social media handles and how to follow you, you've got a couple minutes here. You can give Pat McGinnis whatever you want, a shout out. You can give him hell cause he's not here to back himself up. So get after him uh, before you uh, tell everybody how they can contact you. I, uh, first off, thank appreciate you guys uh, doing this. You have a tremendous platform that you guys have used um, for the last two and a half years, three years now. And three. It's three years. It's been awesome. I mean, it's uh, just, it, it, it's a networking thing. Um, I've, I've met and talked to a lot of coaches strictly because I participated in both the podcast and the chat and then, you know, the zoom calls. Um, so being able to do this and just, if it, if it opens one person's eyes, we've done a good job. Yeah. Um, and that was how I felt about Black Lives Matter. When you guys brought in uh, Mac Murray guys, you know, that was, you know, they, they, they had something to say and I think it was important for us to hear it. Um, and so I appreciate um, that. And I understand you weren't, uh, you can give me hell for, for it. It's if I can only control the controllables and I can't, I'm sick. I can't control anything more than my reaction to it and managing the symptoms. So it is what it is at the moment. Um, I do kind of want to bring Pat back. Um, yes. And I, I, I really would like to, uh, we had a good time, you know, uh, I, I, what I really want for Pat is to, uh, get back into coaching full time. Yes. The Pat McGinnis that just rents cars is <laughs> So boring. And there's just nothing. His social media game is lacking. He just complains all the time. If he's not talking about LeBron, he's doing absolutely nothing. So (laughs) it's, it's, uh, it's boring. Old Pat getting old is boring. So (laughs) I wish that he would get back into coaching full time and quit talking about, I got to do this or I got to do that. You know, I'm thinking about doing it. Just, just do it, man. Like, I don't, I, I, I don't want to hear about your Chrysler Sebring that you're renting out to old people. I want to, I want to hear about Pat playing a three, four, three, um, and dominating, you know? Um, but I, I would like, to, it would be nice to get that guy back on, um, and raise a little hell when, and, and maybe a little less serious time. Yeah. I'm just, I, I feel like you guys had a good enough relationship that, I feel like he's giving you hell for catching the, for catching the Corona. You know, he's, I, 
I've been a really good friend since he got sick. I've checked in on him a couple times that I'm starting to think that, God, you've really mellowed out since you got super sick. Um, you're checking in on Pat to make sure he's okay. Um, where normally you'd be like, dude, grow up. I don't understand what's wrong with um, But I, I am glad to hear that he's getting better um, based on our conversations over the last few days. It's not fun, but he's, he's getting better. And I don't know, Enterprise may still be making him work. So that'd be more enough reason to quit if they're making you still go in. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, if somebody's want to get in touch with you and just, you know, whatever question is that they may have, you're, you're just like the rest of us. You're an open book. Uh, you know, and, and, and willing to, to spread uh, whatever education you have to, uh, to, to everyone. Man, if somebody's want to know about measures they need to be taking, because like you said, like you kind of, you were doing what you were supposed to. And, and all of a sudden, like, hey, we're just supposed to tap elbows. That one elbow tap could do it. Uh, you know, so if somebody's want to reach out to you and just see, obviously check in how you're doing or, or find out, you know, things that they can do and, 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 you know, be a part of this, this recovery. I feel like we should do like a awesome, like YouTube video of your, like, we will rebuild him. Um, uh, what is it? The Michael Scott uh, run for rabies or something? Like that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> the giant check. <laughs> you're going to um, be, you're going to be the new $6 million man. Um, We've got the technology. We will rebuild him. Um, you know, how, how can people get in contact with you and, and, and obviously just check in with you. Uh, but also, you know, any, uh, any information because you, you've got such a wealth of knowledge, uh, from all your note taking over the years, uh, professional um, note taker. My, uh, my Twitter handle is, uh, the Nathan K nine. Um, uh, last name is K O G U T. If you want to look me up on Facebook. Um, I mean, I've answered a ton of uh, DMs about once I inadvertently said that, hey, oh yeah, I got COVID and I can't taste anything. The amount of people reaching out and having questions and things have been, uh, I've, I've answered everything. Um, if you want my number from there, that's fine. Um, I'm looking forward to getting back on Tuesday Zoom calls over the next couple of weeks before I, uh, I lose my Tuesday nights <laughs> to training, but. The Nathan K9 is my Twitter handle and my last name is K-O-G-U-T if you want to look me up on Facebook. Nathan, thank you so much for coming on, man. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Absolutely. guys. Really good to see you guys and uh, appreciate you giving me the platform to, to speak on it.